Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mr. Manafort, can you tell us why you're going to the courthouse today? Mr. Manafort has no comment. Today's announcement has nothing to do with the president, has nothing to do with the president's campaign. This is the beginning of the criminal case against Paul Manafort. Why was Paul Manafort involved in this campaign? He is someone who was doing Vladimir Putin's bidding. Mm -hmm. Who's he working for? What side is he on? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about the man, uh who was indicted today. I mean, not to take pleasure in anyone's suffering, but Paul Manafort is a mauvais homme. See how I didn't say bad ombre? That's because I'm gearing up to use my French straight from Ben Wittes, l'affaire russe. Yep, we're in the thick of l'affaire russe today with the caped crusader Robert Mueller forcing the surrender of Paul Manafort, former Trump campaign manager, and his creepy associate Rick Gates. They face 12 charges, including money laundering and conspiracy against the USA, our great nation. In that first charge, Manafort was accused of funneling millions of dollars through overseas shell companies, then using that money to buy luxury cars, real estate, antiques, and expensive suits. One of his chunks of Tony real estate is in a brownstone near my neighborhood that I often pass, and Victorian urchin that I am, I gaze longingly at that opulent townhouse, wishing I too could launder and funnel some fat stacks and buy a palace like that. But now, who cares? I earn my modest single mom keep by the sweat of my urchin brow while you hi-hatters are going down. Maybe I'll spray paint Manafort's house with, you arrogant jerks, you should have tried to be good people instead of rich people but that would be against the law. Both Manafort and Gates entered a plea of not guilty on all charges today. Ha! Also revealed as a scoundrel was one George Papadopoulos, a young bounder of 30, still in short pants, still wet behind the ears, who found his way into this story by, like so many others, proposing to the Trump campaign in March 2016 that they get down with the Kremlin and Clinton email hacking to kind of accelerate their victory. He did that, and then in January, he lied about it, saying he did not have treasonous intercourse with those people, the Russians. And then, almost a month ago, he admitted he lied. And yeah, he did propose collusion with the Kremlin, and now he's copped a plea to cooperate with Mueller. So Mueller has one criminal conviction and two other thugs, Manafort and Gates, on the ropes. My lord, what a day. Only Matt Miller, late of the Department of Justice, could share in today's bounty with Trumpcast and break it down. And stick around after Matt, because Jacob Weisberg, my co-host, is going to be here with Ben Wittes, coiner of La Faire Russe, to further elaborate on the consequences of this consequential day. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Joining me on the line is Matt Miller. He's a commenter for MSNBC and a former flack for the Department of Justice. Welcome, Matt. Always happy to join, especially on a high holiday like today. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of embarrassing how happy we are to see finally some indictments and some, and I shouldn't even say finally, because this is pretty quick. Friday, yeah the world was alerted to the fact that indictments would be coming on Monday. And today we saw indictments of both Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, his uh, factotum, and also the unsealing of the indictment of George Papadopoulos. I thought we'd start with the Papadopoulos news because it came later in the day. And that means that we sort of didn't quite see the Manafort and Gates indictments through the lens of the Papadopoulos one, which I think really puts those other things, puts the day in a new light. Yeah, I mean, that really came out of the blue. And it's funny, it came just after all the Republicans were looking at this, including the president, tweeting that, oh, this is nothing to do with the campaign. And you heard the White House on background saying this is all... Uh, collusion, you know, this, this is all separate and apart from collusion, and we did nothing uh, with Russia. And then, boom, right when they're in the middle of that spin, the Papadopoulos plea agreement lands, and it's very clear that you had an active Trump advisor who was holding meetings with what appear to be Russian intelligence cutouts, and maybe in one case with a Russian intelligence operative, and receiving emails for dirt on Clinton and stolen emails, which goes to the very heart of this investigation and whether people on the campaign sought to cooperate with the Russians to interfere in the election. Um, Let's back up because it's such a speedy methamphetamine day. And I feel like we need to go a little slowly um, just for for me and for everyone following at home. So George Papadopoulos, he's 30 years old now. He was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign in early 2016. What that advising seemed to consist in is, or at the very least, is that he sent something like six or more emails to Trump's advisors during the campaign. He was offering to set up meetings with Russian officials. Being the smart young man he was, he puts the substance of the email in the subject line. This is his March 2016 email. is called Meeting with Russian Leadership, Including Putin. So <laughs> that's... Yeah. So that's uh, that is March 2016. Then he on January 27th, unbeknownst to all of us, he was asked by FBI agents about the nature of his relationships and interactions with foreign nationals with connections to Russia. Is that right? Right. And he lied. We don't just think he lied. He's confessed to having lied. That's what he did on October 3rd, this past October 3rd. Until now, Mueller and company has been sitting on the fact of Papadopoulos' confession and the plea that he must have struck 
on the 3rd. Do I have everything right? You have it exactly right. And look, I think what you're driving at, it's not a coincidence that Mueller released this plea deal on the same day that he announced the indictments of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates. I think he is showing to other potential subjects of the investigation and other potential witnesses, people in the Trump orbit, that there are two paths you can take with this investigation. You can either uh, come in and cooperate like Papadopoulos did, although not initially. Initially, he lied. Um, but after that, cooperated. And if you read through the agreement, you see he's going to get a very light sentence, you know, something like zero to six months. My guess is he walks out at the end with probation. The other route you can take is to resist, to lie to us, to not cooperate at all the way that Paul Manafort and Gates have done. And if you do that, we're going to throw the book at you and you're going to get something like this massive indictment that, that these two saw. And look, I doubt there uh, I doubt there are others with this detailed uh, a history of criminality that, that Manafort and Gates seem to have. But if they've done anything at all that, that exposes them to jeopardy, if they don't cooperate, Mueller and his team are going to come after them as hard as they possibly can. Um, so let's go to, to Manafort and Gates. They're, what are they indicted on again? It's something like 12 counts. Yeah, 12 counts. They all basically uh, uh, stem from, you know, I can think of them as three buckets. First bucket, they worked on behalf of a foreign government, specifically the Ukrainian government, which at the time was controlled by a pro-Putin autocrat, um, to, to lobby lawmakers in the U.S. and affect U.S. policy. That's the kind of first bucket. And they, did, and they, didn't, they didn't disclose that engagement as they were supposed to. The second bucket is the money they received for that lobbying, some $75 million, they laundered, uh, uh, which is a crime in itself, and they laundered it to hide it so they wouldn't have to pay income taxes on it. The third bucket is that when they were confronted about this massive scheme, they lied about it um, uh, last fall to the, to the FBI when they were approached and said, is it true that you um, uh, did this work and did not file as you were supposed to? They said, you know, we, we, we weren't lobbying on behalf of the foreign government. We were doing the, these other activities. Um, Mueller is alleging today that that was a lie. So you have this uh, ongoing conspiracy that went on for years to lobby on behalf of a foreign government, launder the money you receive them so you don't have to pay taxes, and then lie about it when you're caught. Um, a pretty extensive indictment. One of those charges is called conspiracy against the United States. Early when this and people started reading over the indictment, conspiracy against the United States sounds pretty Benedict Arnold bad, but it's not treason, right? This cons- no, okay, no, it's not. It's not treason. It's basically look if you don't if you don't pay your taxes, that's a con- you know that that is a crime against the United States, right? You owe this money to the United States. So there there are a lot of things that that can fall in that bucket of conspiracy against the United States. That that is not the the, the treason type charges that you can see separately. Okay. Um, so is Manafort's indictment today all about squeezing him, getting him to flip, and possibly at the hands of one of your heroes and mine, uh, Andrew Weissman, the great flipper par excellence on, uh, on Mueller's team? Yeah, I think, I think that's very much part of it because they could have, look, they could have done one of two things. The first thing they could have done is they could have held back on these charges and waited until the end of the investigation. They could have done that with the, the Papadopoulos plea agreement as well. Oftentimes, mm. in, in classic white-collar cases, what you'll see is DOJ conduct these long investigations and then produce charges and settlements and plea agreements at the very end. They're not running this investigation like that. They're, attack, they're running this like an attack on a traditional criminal enterprise, mm. like the way you might run an attack on a drug cartel or a mafia family 
or in the case of Andy Weissman, the rate, the way he ran the attack, the investigation, and eventual prosecution of Enron. Um, he he pursued tactics very similar to this. While you know, instead of waiting for the end of the investigation, he found people he could charge. He put pressure on them. He flipped them and worked his way up up to the top. And sometimes even threatening to charge senior executives, family members, to get those executives to flip and talk about people more senior than them. And what is what? Why did he try that? Why did that strategy work with Enron? And and what are the virtues of that strategy um, in contrast with something like a lot of people propose getting smaller fish and then bigger, bigger fish? Why go in so aggressively at the start? It, it worked for two reasons. One is to borrow this kind of tired military phrase of shock and awe, right? You do that, you do the, these, this big series of actions. And it scares everyone else. Um, kind of the point I was making earlier about you can see if you're a if you're a potential subject, you can see two paths before you right now: a plea, path, a cooperation and uh, plea path, or a get the book thrown at you path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it scares other witnesses and hopefully makes them um, more uh, uh, more likely to talk. The other reason you you do it in a case like this is if you have a a number of people who have committed criminal uh, activities, you have you have more opportunity to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Look, if you have a bunch of people that work inside a company, they may have all, you know, they, not everyone there, they all may know something about the company did. They may not know, they may not have individual criminal liability. In this case, we've already seen three people with, indiv- with their own criminal liability. We know Mike Flynn and maybe his son are a fourth and fifth person with their own criminal liability. Mm-hmm. You have leverage, as a prosecutor, you have leverage over those people. Uh, you have something, and you have something to trade if they cooperate with you, and that's a that's a lower sentence than they would otherwise get. So, uh, just procedural stuff. When is there a trial for and and appeals for Manafort Gates? I mean, did they? What does that look like? Yeah. So too early to know. Certainly months from now, um, there will be a long discovery process. Now that they've been charged, their their attorneys will get to ask the uh, Mueller's team for. Uh, all of the evidence, so the FBI's notes from interviews that they conducted uh, with witnesses, any other evidence they relied on that that um, might that might be used at trial, it will be months from now. And and we shouldn't preclude the fact, and it, actually, I think it's likely that between now and any eventual trial, you'll see more charges against Manafort and Gates. Hmm. Um, something that's common is you will bring initial charges against someone, and then bring later what's called a superseding indictment that adds even more counts to the case. Um, I think given the given the number of, of potential charges we've seen leak out against Manafort over the over the years, um, there's plenty more to work with. There's a, a massive uh, concession he he received um, from the Ukrainian government uh, to get into business in Ukraine. Um, there are you know there are uh, there's work he did for Oleg Deripaska where there's there are allegations of fraud. Um, this may be just the tip of the iceberg. There may be much more coming down the road. So um, Manafort and Gates seem primarily motivated by greed. Um, Papadopoulos is a different story. He was he just, if, you know, a kid. What he was like must have been like twenty eight when he was writing these emails, or twenty nine, uh, writing the emails proposing a, a collaboration with the Kremlin. Um, did he? What do you th- tell me about him? Look, I think you, you know, let's go back to where, uh, to this time frame, spring of 2016. The Trump campaign did not exactly attract the best and the brightest. Um, in fact, in fact, they attracted quite the opposite. Uh, if you look at some of the people that were around the campaign, um, and Papadopoulos falls into that category. He was this, you know, inexperienced operative that somehow 
not only does he join the campaign, but Trump reads out his name when he's appearing before the Washington Post editorial board as one of his camp- foreign policy advisors. That's right. Um, so, so he makes it, to, you know, to the eventual president himself uh, lips at this at this meeting. So he's a guy who, you're not sure how experienced he is. I, I am sure if you read through this indictment, you know, he has this meeting with a professor in London who at first he thinks doesn't express much, much interest in him until this professor learns that he's joining the Trump campaign, at which point his or her disposition changes. And um, I, if, you, if you read you know, the rest of that plea agreement, there are a number of people who he comes into contact in who seem to be either Russian, direct Russian intelligence operatives or cutouts for, direct, for Russian intelligence operatives who must have seen him coming a mile away hmm. and looked at him the same way they probably looked at Carter Page as someone who's not very experienced, um, maybe not the brightest bulb on the block, um, <laughs> who they could compromise, who they could turn, who they could use to their purposes, even if the person didn't know what they were doing. Um, you go back to, to John Brennan's testimony uh, before Congress earlier this year, where he said, Lots of times people who end up in service of foreign intelligence services don't even know what they're doing until it's too late. That's, yes, treason, right. It's the heat going up on the frog, right? It's supposed That's to happen that way. exactly right. So the New York Times says today that this, meaning the revelations of today and indictments today, are the most explicit evidence connecting the Trump campaign, this is the, the Papadopoulos plea, to the Russian government's meddling. What does this story today due to what's known about the Trump-Russia, sorry, the Lafayre Russe timeline? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it, I think the New York Times is right. I think this is a dramatic development. You have to look at the timeline here. Yeah. Um, uh, Papadopoulos has this meeting where he's told that the Russians uh, have dirt on Clinton and stolen emails in April of 2016. Um, what's happened the month prior to that, March of 2016? That's when they hacked John Podesta's email. Um, they obviously had hacked the DNC emails in 2015 earlier in that, and they had just hacked the email a month before of Clinton's campaign chairman. So that's, that's, it, it, it's, a, it's a key date. And, of course, it comes before this, this later meeting that Donald Trump Jr. and Manafort and Kushner all have with Natalia Veselnitskaya, the Russian uh, lawyer. Where so, uh, parenthetically, I'm dressing up as for Halloween, so I'm working on my Fan- costume. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, one person yeah. will recognize me, so bring your kids to Brooklyn yeah. to trick-or-treat. Uh, uh, and if you're not in Brooklyn, please tweet a picture. We all have to see this. <laughs> you know I will. <laughs> um, so before they have this meeting, where again, for now it seems the second time, are offered information from the Russian government, and it's before Donald Trump in June of, of 2016 in public, calls on the Russians, if they have Hillary Clinton's emails, to turn them over, mm. um, to make them public. Um, you know, a lot of this investigation is about, you know, the collusion that may have happened behind closed doors, or in this case, at the minimum, the attempted collusion. You know, there's also Trump's kind of open source collusion, where he's out in public, right. um, uh, talking about uh, about things that you've never seen any other candidate um, uh, discuss. So I think this adds a really significant piece to the timeline. And uh, one more key thing in the document. Yeah. Um, it makes so it makes clear that that Papadopoulos gets this offer, and then it doesn't say anything else about what he does with that. It then goes chapter and verse to follow up on what he did about this offer for a meeting between the Russian government and all he's trying to do is set up the meeting with the Russian government, which is interesting, but not as important as this offer about emails. 
I guarantee you, he, it's not like he just dropped Papadopoulos and did nothing with that offer. Hmm. He must have talked with it about senior officials in the campaign. Mueller is obviously going to know what he said because he's a cooperating witness. It was left out of the. I think that that charge was included, and then the details about what he did were left out as a signal to everyone else. I know what you did. Mm. <laughs> you better come talk to me, and you better tell me your. You better tell me on your own, or you know you're going to be looking you know down the end of, of your own charges. Um, so for pure artists, lots of people are admiring the the like devilishly ingenious choreography of today of Mueller's team working today for pure artistry. Do you see the hand of any one of Mueller's prosecutors in in just the orchestration of the indictments and the revelation of the plea today? Yeah, I think two people, Andy Weissman, who we've already mentioned, and Greg Andres, who um, has a lot of experience taking on um, La Cosa Nostra in New York. In fact, uh, at one point, while uh, uh, prosecuting one of the the New York uh, mafia families, um, had to to live under 24-7 Martians protection because he had death threats. I go back to this point I, I made earlier about how they are, how the Mueller team is attacking this case like you would attack a, a criminal enterprise, including a mafia family. Um, the, the, I think a lot of the, the, the architecture of how they're doing that comes from those two people, Andy Weissman and Greg Andres. Although we shouldn't rule out Bob Mueller himself. He's no slouch as <laughs> an investigator and a prosecutor. <laughs> you know, it's uh, on Friday when the news came uh, that indictments were coming down today, there was worry that that leak, the Friday leak, might actually hurt Mueller's game. But today with the Papadopoulos news, it seems clear that Mueller is plenty able to keep secrets. It's been a month, right, since Papadopoulos confessed to lying. So all of a sudden we go from, oh, the deputy attorney general's office is leaky to it's uh, it seems tight as a drum. They definitely kept this secret. Do you think they're adequately controlling the story or more than adequately? Yeah, I think they absolutely are. It's unfortunate that the indictment leaked. I suspect that has something to do with them having to make a rant, you know, them having to uh, talk to the court, talk to FBI officials mm. about um, uh, potentially putting them under under surveillance in case they try to leave the country. They had to, to broaden their circle a little bit before um, uh, telling them to come in and turn themselves in, and that's probably how it leaked. But other than that, this this investigation has been run in absolute secrecy, which is exactly how you want to do it. Okay, so finally, we talked a little bit about the White House's measured and controlled and and eloquent response to the news today. Um, I'll quote from um, Trump's press release on, you know, beautiful letterpress paper. What he said on Twitter is, sorry, this is years ago. This is just after the Manafort uh, Manafort Gates arrest. Um, This is years ago, before Manafort was part of the Trump campaign. But why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? Five question marks. Um, and then in a new tweet, also, there is no collusion. So that's a pretty strongly strongly worded defense by the president of the United States. No collusion. How are you going to counter that, Matt? Um, i got to say I'm shocked that the president may have lied on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know, look, two things. One, obviously, I mean, he says all kinds of things on Twitter that, that are not backed up uh, by evidence. But the second We've gotten so used to the president interfering with the Justice Department, and this goes back to the you know the, the boiling uh, pot of water and the frog uh, analogy you yeah. referenced. The president shouldn't be talking about an ongoing investigation uh, and what and what the Justice Department should be doing uh, on Twitter or anywhere else. It's not up to him to tell the Justice Department who to prosecute, or at least it never has been in this country. That's not the we don't run this country like a banana republic. But I have the feeling, and you would probably agree. 
as this investigation goes forward, as it gets closer to him, he's going to get worse, not better. I mean, the, the threat to Mueller, the threat to the investigation, the threat to, to Hillary Clinton probably increases. He's going to lash out. He, um, every time he says something like this, like, it seems like his stepping up the idea that Hillary's the colluder and that, you know, the Uranium One hysteria always has the same rhythm of the no puppet, no puppet, you're the puppet. It's, um, it's, it's exactly right. It's, to it, me, it's it exactly, sounds like... I, it sounds like no collusion, no collusion. You're the uranium. That's, that's I mean, my take that's, today. You know, everyone laughed at him when he said that in the debate for yeah. good reasons. But it's in some ways the, the official position of the Republican Party now. I mean, they've launched all these investigations <laughs> into the uranium one thing under the idea, uh, under the, you know, the the theory that that shows you know Clinton colluding with Russia in some way. Is there is, any it, way? It, it, it's a good. Is there any way that's Ty Cobb's strategy, or is this just that's just media madness that he that Trump learned at the New York Post? Uh, I don't think it's Ty Cobb's strategy. My guess is Ty Cobb's full-time strategy is trying to control his client, keeping from from self-harm. Yeah, self-harm with other defendants might mean uh, taking away his shoelaces or or sharp (laughs) objects, but in this case, it's just taking away that keypad, that keypad. Right. Um, All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, Matt. Uh, Thank you. Always enjoy it. I'd like to welcome back to the show Benjamin Wittes. He runs the Lawfare blog at Brookings Institution, where he is a senior fellow. Ben, welcome back. It's a big day. It is a big day. Happy to be back. So these indictments have come out of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates and a guilty plea from George Papadopoulos, who was a foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump at at least one stage in the campaign. And I want you to help me make sense of what's all all going on here. The the indictments are very good reading, and I highly recommend. They're not that long. I recommend them to listeners of this show. But uh, Virginia Heffernan was just speaking to Matt Miller, the former Justice Department spokesman, and his interpretation was basically what's going on here is that Mueller, the special prosecutor, is squeezing Manafort, that he thinks this list of, you know, 12 indictments for money laundering and conspiracy conspiracy and all the things in there will put pressure on Manafort to turn and testify, presumably against Donald Trump. Is that how you read it? Well, I think that's a component of it, but I think there's more to it than that. So first of all, let's step back for a second and uh, observe that on a single day, uh, the special counsel, Bob Mueller, has alleged that uh, the president's campaign manager was laundering money and lying about his role, prior role, as an unregistered foreign agent for a puppet government of Vladimir Putin. Yep. And that on the same day, he uh, announced a guilty plea by a uh, member of the campaign staff or an advisor to the campaign who was actively and with Trump's personal knowledge uh, engaging Russian government officials on behalf of the campaign to set up a meeting between President, soon not yet President Trump, and President Putin, and was doing so while actively pursuing leaked hacked emails. 
of precisely the type that the Russian government subsequently released. So I think the first thing to say about this day is it has blown out of the water the notion that there is nothing serious, very serious, criminally serious to talk about in the collusion department. What is Bob Mueller doing? Bob Mueller is indicting and prosecuting people who he thinks have committed crimes. Another big truck. <laughs> yes, you're, com- you're coming to us from your you're on your way to, uh, to teach class at Georgetown. I understand. But we, we, we wanted to get you even if it had to be a man in the street interview, Ben. Yeah. So he is indicting and prosecuting people whom he uh, believes he can prove beyond a reasonable doubt have committed serious crimes. And along the way, he's putting a lot of pressure on them to cooperate in one case successfully. That's Papadopoulos. And in another case, uh, we'll see how successfully, but this is a, a, a very serious level of criminality he has alleged about Paul Manafort. So we'll start with Papadopoulos for a minute. So, you know, Trump was again tweeting over the weekend, no collusion, you know, all the nonsense. But I mean, Papadopoulos is coming pretty close to in this stipulation with his guilty plea confessing to conclusion, right? I mean, he's not necessarily saying that Trump knew about it, but he's acknowledging that he lied to the FBI when he said his conversations with these two Russian characters who colorfully go by the names of the professor for one, and this other one was the, a woman who he, th- he thought was a niece of Vladimir Putin. But never mind that. He's saying he had very substantive conversations with them about them intervening on behalf of the Trump campaign and presumably getting benefits in return. Look, is this collusion? Collusion is not a term with a real meaning in this context. Is this interaction between the Russian government and the Trump campaign over things like hacked emails and meetings and cooperation between the campaign and the Russian government? Sure is. I mean, it seems to me when we say collusion, you're right. It's not it's not a legal term of art. But what I mean by it is, did the Russians intervene in the election in a way that that would have been criminal? And did the Trump campaign know about it and work with them to make that more effective to help them? And are we there yet? I mean, have we got, you know, by that definition, have we is, is Papadopoulos acknowledging collusion? Well, Papadopoulos is uh, acknowledging that he had conversations with people he believed to be representatives of the Russian government, and in one case, even a relative of President Putin's, in which they discussed dirt by which he meant they meant thousands of emails about Hillary Clinton. And, you know, you can say, well, that's kind of similar to you know, the Trump Tower meeting where kind of emails or dirt was on offer, right? But, uh, and, you know, maybe they were enthusiastic about it, but kind of nothing came of it, at least not in that meeting. But here, I think it's a little hard to make that argument because what we know is that a few weeks after these uh, conversations took place and these emails took place, in fact, the Russians started dumping these emails. Um, in, in, you know, through WikiLeaks in, in the public, uh, sphere. Uh, and so, 
you know, I look at it and I say, I don't really care if you call it collusion or what you call it. It's what they didn't do was say, gosh, we're meeting with Russian government officials who were talking to us about having thousands of emails of Hillary Clinton. Think we should notify the FBI uh, since the government has publicly said that foreign intelligence agencies are targeting the campaigns, right? So, you know, what they did instead is negotiated with them about a meeting between Trump and Putin and talked to them about getting these emails. And in fact, the emails were then released in public. And how are these two documents, the Papadopoulos guilty plea and charges and the Manafort Gates indictment connected? I mean, the Manafort Gates stuff goes back, you know, some of it more than a decade. And, you know, it's about his work for this former government in Ukraine tied to Russia. But the indictment doesn't cover anything related directly to the Trump campaign that I saw. So what's the connection between the two things? So, first of all, I'm not entirely sure that that's true. Okay. The, the document, the indictment, insofar as it alleges a, him serving as an unregistered foreign agent for Viktor Yanukovych and the Ukraine government, uh, does not allege anything post-2014, which was when the Yanukovych government fell. On the other hand, it alleges money laundering to cover up those payments that, con- pers- that uh, continued through 2016, which is to say through the entire period of his service in the Trump campaign. As a, quote, volunteer, not getting paid by Trump, but still getting paid by Yanukovych. Well, he was, uh, I think he already still had the money, but he was, uh, he was not, apparently not paid by Trump, but he was running the campaign. Yeah. Um, And so in the period in which he is running the campaign, he is allegedly still laundering money that was a creature of his prior alleged service as an unregistered foreign agent for an adversarial government. How are they connected? I don't really know. One possibility is to say they're not connected. They're two people who just associated with the Trump campaign who were kind of Russophiles, who just happened to both be engaged in allegedly criminal activity at the time of their service to uh, the Trump campaign that somehow connects to Eastern Europe and, and Russia. Another way to say it, to, to look at it, is to say that Russian intelligence saw a real opportunity in the Trump campaign and saw a lot of opportunities to, uh, of potential uh, targets to, to try to recruit to try to work, and they worked more than one opportunity at a time. And, and names that don't appear in either of these documents are Michael Flynn, Carter Page, Jared Kushner. I mean, those could be separate or overlapping threads, right? Or not existing, right? I mean, remember, to uh, be criminal fair. cases are, are, hard to, are hard to make happen. And the fact that... Uh, you know, somebody's done something that looks pretty sleazy in the newspaper 
doesn't necessarily mean you can make a criminal case against them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Manafort a little bit more. I mean, it is it is an extraordinary document. It, it alleges that $75 million of U- Ukrainian money, I think, passed through Manafort's account. It's not clear if all of that was money being paid to him directly, but at least about $18 million of it was. And there's this just Baroque uh, structure of these offshore accounts in Cyprus and the Seychelles and these various other tax shelters and all of these sort of b- benignly named companies. And it's basically, a, a you know, the, the charges include conspiracy to, to break various laws, but money laundering is the heart of it. When we talk about money laundering, I mean, are we really just talking about trying to get out of paying taxes on money earned abroad, or is there something more than that? Well, no. Um, so that would be tax evasion. Which isn't charged money, in here somewhat surprisingly, right? I mean, I can't figure out why they don't also charge him with tax evasion. You know, I'm not enough of a federal prosecutor nerd to answer that question. Well, if you're uh, not, I don't know who has been, but, but go on. You know, the specific charging decisions, I, don't, I, I, I can't explain for you. But um, look, these are extremely serious allegations. And one thing that is notable about this indictment is the amount of forensics that are behind it in terms of tracing money over a long period of time between as you describe it, a Byzantine structure of, of accounts and shell companies. And, you know, he's, um, you know, this is, this is not a, a sort of minor, you know, tax evasion, you know, didn't pay taxes on your, on, on your, you know, otherwise legal proceeds, right? The fundamental allegation here is that this guy was, uh, an unregistered foreign agent for Viktor Yanukovych for a number of years and set up a completely Byzantine arrangement of shell companies to hide that money in very large quantities, as you say, $75 million, of which $18 million are specifically alleged to have been laundered and uh, involving a great many wire transfers all to cover up activity that was itself illegal, uh, which is to say representing the party of regions and the Ukraine government without registering under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Although it's interesting because people seldom go to prison for failing to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. It's, there are a lot of loopholes, and it's very spottily in, enforced. And the penalties, well, the enforced penalties don't tend to be severe, but the penalties for money laundering are very serious. So you, in effect, yeah. commit a much more serious crime to avoid getting done for the much less serious crime. So it is definitely true that FARA is an under-enforced statute. But it is also true that, uh, and certainly in my experience, the, the versions of, like, the, the FARA violations that go unenforced don't tend to involve movements of money as large as $75 million. And if you would have had to declare amounts like that, what your, the, the, the avoidance of disclosure is much more significant. Yes, and, and among other things, you probably wouldn't be plausible to run a presidential campaign. 
and uh, Ben, in this indictment, there's a discussion of asset forfeiture as a, as a penalty in in the a money laundering case. Would that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean that that Manafort and Gates might have to just hand all of this money they earned from Ukraine over to the government? Yeah, as a general matter, when you commit crimes, you tend to forfeit the assets that you used in the commission of those crimes, particularly if you know they weren't yours to begin with. They're supposedly ill-gotten, right? And so it's very common in these complex white-collar cases to have an asset forfeiture provision at the end where you say, and by the way, here's the, here's the, the stuff that you never were entitled to own in the first place, and we're going to seize it as part of this case. So uh, as a final question, what's uh, what's the next shoe or shoes to drop? Do you expect more indictments? Do you expect negotiation with Manafort and Gates around this indictment? I expect both. Um, so I think if you're Paul Manafort, it is probably unthinkable that you could let this case go to trial. The list of charges that they have and the severity of them are have got to be terrifying. And uh, similarly, if you're Bob Mueller, you uh, don't want to spend a few years litigating Paul Manafort. You want to get Paul Manafort in a cooperative posture. And so I think there's, it's reasonable to expect that as happened with Papadopoulos, you will see uh, a period of negotiation. Now that, of course, could be complicated by Manafort's belief, if he has belief or hope, that he may get a pardon. But failing that, I would expect to see a plea here because the consequences for Manafort of a conviction at trial are awesome. As to what else to expect, look, today's events show that the Mueller investigation is much more advanced than we understood. They've done a huge amount of work, and they're in a position to make startling allegations that they feel they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt against the president's campaign manager. And I can't imagine that's the only case they've worked to this point. They had Papadopoulos, and nobody even knew about it. And so my assumption is that, as I said before, this is the opening salvo, and we may be in for a period of shock and awe. Sounds good to me. I've been speaking to Benjamin Wittes of the Lawfare blog and Brookings Institution. Ben, thanks for fitting Trumpcast in on your way to class. It's a pleasure, uh, as always. That's it for today's show. Don't forget, if you like it, you should go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. We mightily appreciate it. You can tweet with us at RealTrumpCast. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. For Virginia Heffernan, I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast.